You're listening to The Sikron Show, episode number 174. In this episode, I'm speaking to Susan Dibble about the changes that are coming to online marketing with TTPR. Welcome to The Sikron Show. I'm your host, Sikron, creator of Samba, the MBA program for online entrepreneurs. With each episode, I'll share with you inspiring case studies and interviews to help you achieve your dreams and turn your passion into profits. Thank you for spending time with me today. Building an online business takes time. I share with you proven strategies to help you get there faster. You'll also learn how to master your mindset, up-level your marketing, and succeed with masterminds. Today's guest is Susan Nipple, who is a UK-based data protection lawyer who consults multinationals on data protection law and the upcoming GDPR. Susan brings a very practical approach to the implementation of the new EU data privacy laws, especially for small online businesses, and has an amazing Facebook group. By going to signal.com forward slash 174, you'll find links to Suzanne and her Facebook group, plus the show notes of this episode. I am so excited to be here with Suzanne Dibble. I know you're a very busy woman <laughs> these weeks with the whole DTPR thing going on. And I just thank you for being on the show, Suzanne. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. You were one of the early ones that asked, actually. So um, you got in quick. You got your date secured, so you're all good. Everybody else is way down the line. So well done. <laughs> well, first off, I want to congratulate you. I am in awe of your Facebook group. As a online business owner, teaching people about online marketing and how to build an online business, I'm like, take an example of Susan, what she's doing, like so timely to build such a group and you're doing it so well. So congratulations. Thank you. I was speaking to somebody this morning who I'm, I'm doing an interview for her community and she said exactly the same. I, I love what you're doing with your Facebook group and you know the, the marketing side of it. And I was like, there wasn't a big master plan. I'd love to say there was, but there really wasn't. I just, I got very frustrated at the lack of real solid information out there and the amount of misinformation that was being shared between people at networking meetings and things like that. And that's really what started the group. And then people asked me, well, how can I affordably get hold of all these documents you're telling us that we need? So then I produced my pack, my template pack, and it's, it's just been a huge success. But I'd love to say I was really clever and had this big master plan, but I really didn't. It just came from a place of just really wanting to help you know, business owners who can't afford to pay traditional one-to-one -one consultancy fees with lawyers about, let's face it, it's a very complex regulation. Yeah. No, I think probably the best, uh, I don't want to call it a marketing stunt, but sometimes the best ideas come just because you just do it when there's no master plan. So yeah, I'm really happy you did it. You're helping a lot of people. And still, there are these questions coming up. And that's why we are here today. So there's panic out there. Online business owners are very worried that this new law, the GDPR, is changing everything. That our email list, basically, we have to ask everyone to basically opt in again. And then the other thing is that we cannot offer freebies anymore since you can't bundle offers. Yes. So there is panic. You're absolutely right. The first thing to say is don't panic. Okay. GDPR is not here to stop small and online businesses doing business. It's really not. 
Uh, you know, certainly in the UK, the, the supervisory authority, the Information Commissioner's Office or the ICO for shorthand, it takes a very sensible approach to it and very much works with the carrot, not with the stick. So I think when people first come into the group, they've maybe heard about it from a networking meeting and they hear the headline fines of 20 million euros. And they think that if they're not completely compliant on the 26th of May, they're going to get fined 20 million euros. And of course, that is absolutely not the case. So the first thing is don't panic. Most of the supervisory authorities around, well, in Europe, uh, which is, let's face it, the supervisory authorities that we're talking about here, even though GDPR does have wider territorial application, and we'll come on to talk about that in a bit, I'm sure. But certainly the vast majority of the supervisory authorities are working with small businesses and they're not out to trip us up. They're not out to fine for the slightest non-compliance. GDPR is really here to, to deal with the people that are using data in invasive ways where people have a real concern about their privacy. And, and yes, it applies to small businesses, whatever the size, whatever the number of employees, but we take a, a bit of a sense check to it, yeah? So yes, there's certain rules that we need to think about, but at the end of the day, if I always have a, this overriding principle of if I'm treating my customers' data in a way that I personally would be fine with my own data being treated, then generally I'm going to be okay under these rules. Okay, so no panic. Let's relax and let's figure out what we need to do. The first question that comes up is, okay, I have an email list. I did ask people to sign up for something and now they're on my list. Do I need to ask them again? You know, I know where they came from. We're not dodgy marketeers. Most of the people actually have used MailChimp or Infusionsoft or something. So they know where the people came from. We did not collect email addresses at some conference or or move them between system or get them some in a sleazy way. But still... There's not under 100% assurance if that's okay. Okay, it's probably the most popular question that I get asked. So, so yes, I have a good answer to this. So the first thing to bear in mind is that consent is only one lawful ground of processing, okay? So firstly, is it personal data? If it's data that identifies a living individual, then it's personal data and it's within the scope of GDPR. So names and email addresses are an example of that. Then we look at the lawful ground of processing. Now, consent is just one of those grounds, okay? You've also got grounds of processing where there's the contract says that you've got to process it. So in order to fulfill that contract, where you've got legal obligations, there's a couple I won't mention because they're probably not relevant here, but also legitimate interests, which is probably an area that a lot of people have heard about, but it's, it's a very easy to misunderstand area. So I'll talk about that a little bit later as well. If you are with the consent ground, do you need to get fresh consent from your list? And the answer is that if you have obtained the GDPR standard of consent, you do not need to refresh those consents, okay? However, because the GDPR standard of consent is quite a lot higher than what we have at the moment, the majority of people won't have obtained that level of consent. So let's look at what is the GDPR standard of consent. Okay, so the definition of consent is that it's got to be given by a clear affirmative act. So what that means is there's no more opt-outs, there's no more pre-tick boxes. There has to be an affirmative action, a clear action by the data subject that shows their consent. Okay, so it's got to be a clear affirmative act establishing a freely given, specific, informed and unambiguous indication of the data subject's agreement. 
Okay, the, the specific, informed and unambiguous part of it means that you need to be really transparent about what you're doing with that data and the purposes for the processing. Okay, so what you need to have given your data subjects at the time that they signed up was a privacy notice that did just that. Okay, so you had to have at the point of collection a link to your privacy notice that said, here's how we're going to use your data. Okay. And most people don't have And most people don't have that. No, that's quite right. Even if you do, by the way, have an existing privacy notice, you will need to change that for GDPR because GDPR specifies exactly what you need to include in that privacy notice. Um, The freely given bit is about the bundled consent and the granularity of consent. So what I mean by granular is just separate options. So this is where if you're thinking about your tick boxes, you can't have a consent tick box that says, I consent to receive your newsletter and also for you to share my data with third parties. Okay, you would need to break those into two tick boxes because giving the data to third parties is completely different and a different level of privacy to you providing a newsletter. So you you need the two different tick boxes for that. If you've bundled consent in that kind of way, then that is not to a GDPR standard. Okay, so it's really about giving the data subject, which is the person whose name and address, you know, name and email address you've got, giving them genuine choice and control about what information they're going to receive from you. Okay, so as I say, probably 90 percent, probably more, 95 percent of people won't have had GDPR level of consent and will in all likelihood need to go out and get fresh consent. Now, saying that a business owner posted details of his conversation with the ICO where he had, and sorry, the ICO being the UK's supervisory authority. And it's interesting because you tend to get a different answer to the same question, whichever day you phone up and who you speak to. So, but it's always good to make a note of it and get the name of the person so that if there is ever an investigation, you can refer back to that conversation. Um, But he ran his existing consent past the ICO and the way that he'd previously obtained his consents, what he was doing with them, etc. He, I think, used Infusionsoft. So there was a record of exactly how he had obtained that consent, on what date, um, what emails they'd had following that, etc. He'd had a good privacy policy in place at the point of sign up. And they said that he would be okay. So I think the key thing that they were thinking about there was that A, he had the privacy policy and B, he had the, um, the record of the consents. OK, so those, those seem to be the two key things for him. So if in doubt um, and you are relying on consent as your lawful ground of processing, then, you know, frankly, I take this as a really good opportunity to clean up my list. You know, we all know about email deliverability rates. You've got 20,000 people on your list and only 3,000 are opening them. Then because 17,000 aren't, that's going to reduce the chances of the 3,000 who actually want to see your stuff seeing it. Better to have an engaged list of 3,000 people than 20,000 where the majority don't open it. So personally, I'm taking it as a really good opportunity to re-engage my list, get people on there who really want to receive my stuff. So what you do need to do if you are using the consent ground for processing and you do need to get fresh consent is to make sure that you do that before GDPR comes into force on the 25th of May. Now, if you just send an email that is out of the blue, maybe your list hasn't heard from you in a few months and you say, there's this new law coming in, please consent to receiving my stuff. Nobody is going to click on that that link. Okay. So what you need to be thinking about is more of a re-engagement campaign with the legal tick box as part of that if you don't want to risk losing half of your list or more. 
Uh, and now is the time to start doing that because obviously there's, there's a month, just over a month to go until GDPR comes into force. So think about how you can uh, re-engage that list. There's a really great interview that I did with a marketing expert in my Facebook group, and I'm sure Sigrid will share the link to that to that fa- Facebook group. And she gives some really good ideas as to the type of re-engagement campaigns that you can use. Now, we kept it fairly simple on that video, but I know I'm sure there's quite a few people in, who are listening to this who will have more advanced online marketing businesses. And for those of you, you know, my email certainly, because I've not been brilliant at this in the past, I'll hold my hand up. You know, a lot of them aren't even going to see my next five emails because they've not opened my emails for two years or whatever, you know. So I'll be looking at doing some Facebook advertising some retargeting to those people and giving them a freebie that is so valuable that hopefully they will you know re-engage and then it's just a really good kick up the bottom for me to make sure that my marketing is continuously engaging going forwards Uh, so I actually take GDPR as yes it's a law but actually if you look at it on the marketing side it's actually a really good opportunity to I say get a more engaged list and think about not not be a lazy marketer you know really make sure that you're giving content that people want and are are going to enjoy and get value from yeah I think in the first instance I was like ah what are they doing to us they're ruining everything and then the more you see from GDPR and also being in your group I see it positively too. I think it's a way of cleaning up our list. It's happening to everyone. So you're not, it's not like they're after you alone. It's the whole industry is changing and those who comply will come out on top. I think so. I think, and also aside from the marketing of it, you know, GDPR itself, I think the people who do take it seriously and can show customers that they are interested in looking after their data, there will be a competitive advantage for those businesses. You know, the more that customers become savvy about this, and certainly in the UK, there's now customer facing campaigns about GDPR and what their new rights are and how their data should be treated. If you get a a question from a customer that says, you know, what are you doing about GDPR? How are you looking after my data? If your response is, uh, what's GDPR? Compared to actually, we're totally on top of that. You know, protecting your data is our priority. You know, who is going to have the best customer experience and be loyal and, and you know be really impressed by that and tell people that you're doing a great job? So I think that GDPR is can be viewed as a very positive thing for a number of reasons. So the bundled consent is another one. So freebies, that's obviously the way that most people have built their list. Uh, you know, I have currently, I'm advertising a webinar, for instance, you know then uh, the typical thing you do, uh, people are added to your newsletter as well. Will this be possible or not? There are conflicting informations out there. Uh, The honest answer is it's not entirely clear and it really depends on your appetite for risk. Uh, I'm I'm one of the more uh, risk taking lawyers out there. So I'll tell you my view and then (laughs) I'll I'll tell you the law, I'll tell you my view and then you can decide on your own appetite for risk, okay? Now, best practice, I think to put it beyond doubt is to have a tick box, okay? So you would have your sign up for your freebie, your webinar, your checklist, whatever it is. And at the point of where they're entering their details, you would definitely need to have a link to your privacy policy, okay? But ideally there, you should also have a tick box that says, tick here if you would like to receive promotional offers from me and details of my goods and services that I think you'd be interested in. That's definitely best practice and puts it all beyond doubt, okay? There is, I've been investigating the legitimate interest ground of processing here. Um, Now, legitimate interest, let me just read you what that says so that 
because I'm conscious that not everybody is going to be up to speed with what that means. So let me just say a little bit about what legitimate interests involves. The definition in GDPR is that the processing is necessary for your legitimate interests or the legitimate interests of a third party, unless there is good reason to protect the individual's personal data, which overrides those legitimate interests. Now, one of the recitals has actually said that direct marketing is an example of a legitimate interest. I think marketers initially got very excited about that because they thought that, great, that means that I don't need to bother with consent at all. And it absolutely doesn't mean that, okay? But what it does mean is that if there is a relevant and appropriate relationship, so certainly I think that with existing customers, for example, so if you had a list where you can segment your existing customers, you wouldn't need to get in my view, consent from them to continue to market to them because I think that you would be able to do that under legitimate interests, okay, because there's that relevant and appropriate relationship. You need to look at whether the individual would reasonably expect their data to be processed at the time and context in which the data is collected. So it's likely to be most appropriate where you use people's data in ways that they would reasonably expect and that it's got a minimal privacy impact, Okay, so for existing customers, certainly if you're sending them details about something that's very relevant to a product or service that they've just bought, then in my view, that would be, you would have a lawful ground of processing under legitimate interest and you wouldn't need to get them to re-opt in. So some people might have an entire list of customers, okay? In my view, you would not have to go out and get their consent to send them more details about products and services. You could rely on legitimate interest, okay? Now saying that, Legitimate interest is not an easy ground because it's not black and white. It's a bit of a gray area. And what you have to do each time you want to rely on it is what's called a legitimate interest assessment, okay, where you carry out this balancing test. There's nothing in the act that says you have to record it, but certainly the advice from the Information Commissioner's Office is that you, you should keep a record of every time you rely on legitimate interest for a processing ground, do the legitimate interest assessment and keep a record of it on file so that you, if ever there's a complaint and you're investigated, then you can show the investigating authority that and show what your thought process was and that you, you had done this balancing test and come to the conclusion that your legitimate interests overrode. There was no impact to the rights and freedoms of the data subjects. Let's just take a concrete example. Let's say I'm doing a webinar and there are follow-up emails and then I add people to my newsletter, which I've always done in the past. And I make this very clear on this page, sign-up page when they sign up, that this is what they do, link to my privacy policy. And I would write down in a Word document that this is my thinking, that it's very normal, acceptable process that they get follow-up emails after the webinar to buy the product that I introduce in the webinar. And then afterwards, they're on my email list, on a newsletter list. But I have a podcast list and then I have other lists. So I would then offer them to join those lists at some point, but not automatically put them on there. Yeah, I mean, you know, in my view, that would be okay, particularly if you're being really upfront at the point of, um, so you've got your privacy notice, but even if you're spelling it out outside of that link, but actually under the sign up box, if you're saying, you know, we'll be sending you follow up emails and adding you to our newsletter list, then in my view, if you don't have that tick box and you're relying because you don't need the consent, you're relying on legitimate interest, then that's fine. What you do need to also spell out to people is that they can object to the processing under a legitimate interest ground, which is essentially the same as an opt out. Okay, because if people object um, to direct marketing where you've used legitimate interest as a ground, then that right to object is absolute. 
and you have to stop marketing to them. So a way of doing that would just be to put your opt-in link there, but you need to tell them about that at the point of sign up. So you would just say you can opt out from this at any time. So there is a, um, a form, a legitimate interest assessment form that guides you through the three steps. Uh, so I would do it properly. I know you, you gave a kind of quick example as to how you do it in a Word document. That's probably better than nothing. But if you can, you know, you really need to look at the, the three steps that you go through on this legitimate interest assessment. And I can tell people how they can get hold of that later um, if you'd like me to share that. Yeah, we'll link that in the show notes. Your GDPR pack, we'll link that in the show notes as well. Okay, great. Well, so in my GDPR pack, the privacy policy that I've already talked about, you need a new one of those, that's included in the pack. And the legitimate interest assessment form, that's included in the pack. Pretty much everything that you're going to need to comply with GDPR is in the pack. So if you need a a very affordably priced template set, it is templates. Um, I do provide a limited amount of guidance in the group to the extent that I can without driving myself crazy with lack of sleep and everything else. But you know, if you've got the budget to go and do it bespoke with a lawyer, great, go do that because you're going to be 100% covered, okay? If you haven't got the budget to do that, the templates are going to get you 95% of the way there, okay? So legitimate interest, not a, it's not the easy answer. So don't, I don't want to give people the impression that they can just go, oh, she said, you know, you can just rely on legitimate interests. Don't need to think about consent. That's not the case, okay? You've got to carry out this three-stage test. As I say, it's going to be more relevant where there is this existing relationship there and when, when it's within the realms of people's expectations as to what they're actually going to get, okay? But best practice, to put matters beyond doubt, have your separate tick boxes, Um, So you've got your, you know, put your email in here if you want my free checklist and then a tick box for would you like to receive promotions and details of our goods and services beyond my newsletter, whatever else it is. Well, basically, the law is originally written, I feel, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, because people were taking email addresses and sending them to their, let's say you're a conglomerate and you have several companies and they were just sharing them across the board. And suddenly the bundled offers, which don't seem so bundled to me, but are bundled maybe in the law, feels like that's being a, the result of this. Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that it was meant to stop the example that I gave before, which is where you have bundled consent that says, uh, tick here for uh, your free service. And by the way, we'll be sharing your details with any third parties that we feel are relevant. You know, there's a big distinction between being happy to sign up for your newsletter after I watched your webinar and you giving those details to any third party that you fancy and me getting all of their marketing information. So you're absolutely right. I think that's the kind of level that it was designed to enable data subjects to have choice and control over. There's not this big data protection police force that's going to go around checking every single online marketer's consent boxes. The risk here is that you have customers or prospects who are going to complain. So number one, they have to be savvy about this in the first place. Number two, you have to have really generally pissed somebody off for them to actually take the time and effort to find out where to complain and how you actually go through with all that. Thirdly, if the ICO think it's serious enough to investigate, which to be honest, they're going to have so much much on their plate when this comes into force, I really doubt that they would. But if they do and they come along and they see that you've made every effort that you can in your proportionally to the size of your business and your budget and your time available and your size of your team and all the rest of it, then really they're, they're just going to say to you, look, here's what you need to do. Do that next time. They're not going to come along. There's not a big data protection police force that are going to come and find you and fine you. You know, you've got to take steps to compliance, but don't stress about every single tiny detail is my view. Yeah, that's what's coming up, uh, especially, uh, let's say, 
I love uh, my German audience and those who are listening, but Germany is stricter on this it uh, is. law. Yes, it is. And since I have a German audience and, and people also elsewhere in Europe and US and elsewhere in the world, it is a difference there in how this law is viewed and also the double opt-in, which is mandatory in Germany and many other countries is not. So GDPR does not require double opt-in. Correct. Yeah, GDPR itself does not does not of itself require double opt-in, no. It gives an example of when a double opt-in might be necessary, and that's when you're processing sensitive data. Okay, so um, sensitive data is things like racial origin, ethnicity, political persuasion, religious beliefs, health data, things like that. And that needs an even higher level of consent, because obviously if it got into the wrong hands, it would have a significant impact on the rights and freedoms of individuals. So it needs an extra layer of protection. So the way the examples that the working party gave of how to get that explicit consent, because it wasn't exactly defined in, in GDPR, was to either get a written statement. So if you're a therapist, for example, and you're collecting personal data at the first meeting then you would have a form where they fill it in and then you'd probably have your privacy notice on the back that tells them exactly how they're going to how you're going to use that information and they would sign that that form so obviously a written signature is an example of explicit consent and for any therapists who are listening there is an example of that form of privacy notice in my pack that we talked about earlier the other example that they give is a two-stage verification process if you're collecting the data online and that would be what we know as a double opt-in so a two-stage verification process but no in itself gdpr does not say that for consent purposes, you need a double opt-in. What it does say is what I read out before about the affirmative action, it being freely given, um, it being exact, clear and transparent about what you're going to be doing with the data. No double opt-in is mandatory through GDPR. But people in Germany are more worried about the, uh, you know, the law and also the uh, potential penalties, I feel, because I'm from Iceland, we are more relaxed, <laughs> more ready to take risks. So for my audience who is more scared, and you said, well, they're not going to come after you. And if somebody complains, there are actually might be people out there uh, that will do this on purpose. They will be looking up people. Oh, yeah. And competitors could do it as well. No, absolutely. I mean, there are vindictive people out there who would be looking to trip you up. And I must disclaim that I was talking about the UK, particularly in terms of the commentary that we've had from the ICO is very much about working with small businesses and being with the carrot, not with the stick, etc. So yes, UK data protection authority is taking that stance. I, I'm, I do know that, that Germany is one of the strictest. So I know that much. But yes, it's absolutely possible that competitors and, and just people who you've annoyed in some way, I mean, you know, you might throw them out of your group and they take the hump at that, you know, and they, I mean, what this is what is interesting though, Sigrun, is that the enforcement going forwards, that will be what is going to be really interesting about how the authorities take the lead on this and what actually happens post the 25th of May. And um, I think that all of the authorities will be tremendously busy just in helping people implement and you know we've not even had full guidance on everything so they're still busy with that and I, I don't know whether they'll want to make examples of there'll be some high profile cases that they'll want to bring for to make examples of them so that that people see that they're taking this really seriously um, because after all you know in my view that's what the increased fines are for they have said that, you know only the most serious breaches will have the 20 million fines but what it does do is it signifies how how the, the authorities are treating data protection 
it's gone from fines of £500,000 in the UK up to £20 million. That's how the significance of data protection has, has increased over the past 20 years since we had our last data protection law. And it's only right, isn't it? Because if you look at what we're doing with data now compared to what we, well, not us, probably not the people who are listening to this, but the bigger companies, you know, with the new technologies and the scale of the data processing that's going on, it's only right that the laws catch up with that. Yeah. And probably now we are happy that GDPR is coming because of the whole Facebook scandal. Exactly. I mean, who would ever have predicted that putting in your personal interests and likes into Facebook could influence an election and, and the course of you know, future world events. It's almost it's unthinkable, isn't it? But that shows how it shows the importance of data and how it can be used and abused. And that's really what GDPR is here for, you know, to stop that kind of thing happening. It's not to get us with our tick boxes for our webinars and our, you know, follow up email sequence. But like you say, there could be vindictive people out there, competitors who just want to make, even if the authorities don't investigate it, they just want to make your life difficult. So if there is a way of doing it right and not, you know, do it right just for that sake alone, that you can not, you don't have to have sleepless nights wondering if your competitors are going to try and trip you up, you know. But what can you do to prepare? I know as a part of your pack and generally that to be prepared. So if there is that email about what are you doing with my data or are you doing this correctly? What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to reply to this person or do they have to complain to the authorities? Do they send us an email? Yeah, so in the privacy notice, the GDPR does actually make it a requirement that we tell data subjects that they can complain to the supervisory authorities. But there is a note in there that says, however, we would appreciate you raising any issues with us first so that we can have a chance to address that. Um, So yes, I think that most people would come to you first and say, There's two things, really. The first is just complaining and saying you're doing it wrong, in which case, unless they're particularly vindictive or a competitor or whatever, I'd just be saying thanks for bringing it to my attention. We are working to become compliant with GDPR, but thank you for bringing this and we'll look into it straight away. That might keep people happy. The other side of things is the subject access request where people are saying, what data are you holding on me? And those have changed. There's enhanced rights to the data subjects and you can't charge a fee anymore. You used to be able to charge a very small fee. You can't charge a fee, but you also have to reply in a shorter time period now. You have to reply within a month. Okay, so what people need to be aware of and what people need to train their staff in, because it might not come into you directly, it might come into your receptionist or somebody who's in charge of your support email address or your info email address or whatever it is. And it might not be phrased as a subject access request. It might just be saying, I'm really annoyed that I've got this email how are you using my data? What are you, you know, what's going on? That is a kind of a disguised subject access request that you've got to act on within a certain time period. And so really when it, if that happens, certainly don't ignore it. You've got to act on it very quickly, but then there are rules around what you should and shouldn't disclose to that person, which are beyond the scope of this interview. So I just want people to have a red flag that if that happens, take that seriously, act quickly, and either go back into my group and look at the videos on it in there. And certainly in in the pack, there's guidance as to how people would respond to that. Um, And if it is a complex business, then take bespoke advice from a lawyer as to what you would and wouldn't include in, in that response to that subject access request, where you have to provide the data that you hold on that, that person and what you're doing with it, et cetera. Yeah. So currently the system haven't really caught up. I know you're using Infusionsoft like me, and uh, we aren't really able to do 
be compliant fully as of today, possibly in a month from now. So people should just sit tight and wait and <laughs> email their software provider. It's, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And I, I've had lots of people emailing me and saying, I've looked at your tick boxes and they're not GDPR compliant. I'm like, well, it's not enforced yet. So thanks very much, but I'm working towards compliance and thank you. Uh, MailChimp, for example, has just released some GDPR tools um, and there's a MailChimp expert in my group who's been a tremendous help in terms of helping people with that particular software. Infusionsoft have been a bit slow on the uptake of this, but I think there are workarounds. And, and I think that what Infusionsoft is good at is tagging and segmenting. And although it isn't easy on their opt-in forms to have a tick box where you want it and things like that, I think that certainly for me, in my re-engagement campaign, I'm going to be having those tick boxes or links in the body of my email so that I'll then tag people and I'll know exactly what they've consented to. And that's obviously kept a record of through Infusionsoft. Um, We've got a a list of popular software uh, systems in my group. Um, Another complexity, of course, is that they are typically in the States um, and that brings in a whole issue about transferring data outside of the EEA. Typically, the answer is is that they're part of the EU-US privacy shield, but a lot aren't. Um, So, yes, it's an interesting situation where, in theory, they could be compliant by the 25th of May, but then we've got no days to get our own house in order to actually use that tool to become compliant. As I say, there isn't, you know, on the 26th of May, this big guillotine is not going to fall on our necks if we're not completely compliant. I think if we're working towards compliance and we have a plan as to what we need to do, that will suffice. Um, But yes, it's frustrating that a lot of the software is behind the curve on this. So again, no panic. If you're working towards compliance right now, and not there yet, even on May 25th, you say that is the answer we can give to anyone making an inquiry. <laughs> don't, don't hold me to that. Don't name me on that. But yeah, I mean, it's politically, I think that, you know, if certainly in the UK, if they came after small business owners, it would just be a complete disaster, is my personal view. So um, I think that if people are in my group, if they've got the pack, if they're working towards compliance, then I, in my view, if any regulator comes along and looks at that, that's got to be good enough for um, the, the guidance that we've had in terms of the timing of that, in terms of the software that we're using. We cannot work miracles, can we? We can't, can't do the impossible. So as long as we're not sticking our heads in the sand and saying, oh, stupid regulation, that doesn't apply to me, then in my view, you know, certainly in the UK, again, I'm not sure of the position in Germany. <laughs> Maybe they do have this huge data protection police force that's going to go around. But, you know, I think, you know, we've got to do everything that we can whilst working within the parameters that we are currently constrained by. Well, Susan, I know you were very busy. You have lots of interviews this week. People have noticed that you're doing a good thing for small business owners. I want to thank you for that from all of us, what you're doing for free. Uh, That's why I want to encourage people to get your DGPR pack. It's a small amount to pay to get lots of good information. I'll link that up in the show notes for you. And just thank you for coming on the show and uh, continue helping us get compliant. Well, thank you for having me. And just one word on the pack, actually. Uh, The price is, I'm not sure when this is going live, but the price is going up on the 25th of April because that's one month to go. And I just really want to encourage people to start taking some action to putting these steps into place. So um, if you can purchase it before then, then it's a very affordable £147. 
it goes up to 197 after that. So still tremendously reasonable for what you get. But if you can act quickly on that, all the better. Thank you. Thank you so much, Susan. Thanks for having me, Sigrun. It's been great. Want to get the GDPR pack from Susan? Go to sigrun.com forward slash 174. There you also find the show notes of this episode and links to Susan and her amazing Facebook group. Thank you for listening to The Sigrun Show. Did you enjoy this episode? If you did, please share, subscribe and give the show a review on iTunes. See you in the next episode.